Zone Sports Network is taking you to the movies. This is the Movie Zone on 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and the Zone Sports Network. Hi, it's the Movie Zone. I'm Austin. He's Johnny. That is very happy for you. What is going on? <laughs> I'm excited to be talking movies, man. We've Are got you? a packed movie zone this week. Man, I can't tell you're excited. Your voice is like two octaves higher. We, we've got an incredible... Hi, how you doing? Hey, it's the movie zone. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. Mickey Mouse here. Uh, we've got a great showdown. We've got a great poll question. We've got incredible new movies. Honestly, great new movies coming out this week. Oh, man. We have a special guest from the hit docuseries Murder Among the Mormons is going to join us in segment two. We've got a soundtrack of the week that I'm going to learn a lot about because I I won't spoil who it is, but I don't know anything about this band. Okay. Let alone maybe what they even sing. Really? So I'm excited. Education time. That. Education. And then uh, from the archives, we're going with, we're going to have a spy theme today on the Movie Zone. I like it. And I like got, spy movies. We've got the all-encompassing James Bond for from the archives coming up later. Do you like, do you like spy movies? There's not a better genre other than uh, historical fiction. Really? Yeah. Wow. World War II historical fiction, romantic comedy. And spy movies. That's me. I, I, I'm I with you on spy movies. So fold them all in together, and you have one of the new movies coming out this week based on a true story that okay. we'll talk about in a moment. Now, just just a quick one. Just quick. I know uh, we, it's very packed. So do you consider the Marvel movies spy movies? No. Like the Avengers? Nope. Really? Nope. They're spies? No, nah, they're not. No, those aren't spies. Black Widow is a spy. She's nah, not a superhero. No, 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 no. Nick Fury is a spy, not a superhero. No, Nick Fury's a police detective. No, he's a director, but he's the spy director. Okay, get out of here. No, you don't agree with that? Oh, wait, well, isn't that Sam Jack- Jackson's character? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, he's not a spy. They're spies. No, They're you're spies. wrong. But that's okay, you can be wrong. However, there is a spy <laughs> movie called The Avengers. What? Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that another time. All right. Well, let's get to the movie's own poll question, or excuse me, showdown for the week, Johnny. Since we got to move here. Let's do it. Uh, I asked over the weekend, which is the better series, The Mandalorian or WandaVision? Hmm. WandaVision, I tried, Johnny, but I'm not a Marvel. Really? I'm not a Marvel head, so I don't really understand everything that's going on. I haven't seen all of the Avengers movies. I honestly, I don't think that Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen are a good chemistry on, on screen together couple. Because he's in his almost 60s and she's barely 30, if that. Sure. Okay. I so, can see that. Uh, but anyway. But he's a machine. He doesn't know age. But he's not in real life. No. You still have to have that chemistry. But <laughs> a lot of people are in love with the show WandaVision. And a lot of people love The Mandalorian. So I thought this will be a close race and it wasn't. No, no. it's it's, And I'm guessing. I don't know the result. It's Mandalorian? We had 809 votes. Wow. In just 24 hours. So what did the nine vote for WandaVision? <laughs> 60% of that 809 went to The Mandalorian. Wow. That's 21% went to WandaVision, and the other 20% went to Just Show Me the Results. I'm not surprised. Uh, WandaVision, being a Marvel head that I am, WandaVision was hard to watch until about the fourth episode. Really? It was kind of like, what am I watching? This is dumb. I didn't make it more than 12 minutes. Right. Because it, it, it's all like the early sitcom stuff, and you don't get it, but yeah. it explains it. And really, very quickly, well, no, I'm not even going to go into it because it's a spoiler because not everyone's seen it. But the end result is worth it. 
for the future of Marvel. Let's just leave it at that. So there you go. That's our Movie Zone movie showdown this week. Johnny will have one for you coming up on Twitter this weekend. Check him out, Johnny Lightfoot One. Let's talk about the new movies out this week, Johnny. Our guy Larry Tassoni was kind enough to send us all the info we need to tell you about the new movies hit Megaplex theaters. And I want to start with the one I'm most excited about. Do it. The Courier. Mm-hmm. I love historical fiction. I love spy movies. I love romantic comedies. You've got a little bit of all that in this true story starring Benedict Cumberbatch, yeah. Rachel Brosnahan, and Jesse Buckley. The Courier is a PG-13 spy thriller based on a true life story of an unassuming British businessman recruited into one of the greatest international conflicts in history, World War II. At the behest of UK's MI6 and CIA operative, he forms a covert dangerous partnership with a Soviet officer in an effort to provide crucial intelligence needed to prevent a nuclear confrontation and defuse the Cuban Missile Crisis. Did I say World War II? A moment uh, ago. I don't think so. Maybe. If I did, I didn't mean that. This I is, wasn't listening to this you. This is the Cuban <laughs> Missile Crisis, not World War II. But anyway, The Courier tells this true story. It's rated PG-13. It has spy thriller stuff attached to it, obviously. It's got love because of his family getting mixed up in it. And it has some comedy that the writers have put in here for the levity. And so I'm really, really excited to see The Courier. Mm -hmm. And Larry says it's really, really good. Watching the trailers for this, it looks really, really good. Now, I know trailers can make anything look really, really good, like even Sharknado. But (laughs) this, this I think, is going to do well. I mean, Benedict is an amazing actor. And uh, actually, all of them are amazing actors. So this is one I'm checking out for sure. So the spy thriller, The Courier. Yeah. That inspired our poll question this week. I can tell that, yes. At Austin Horton, at Johnny Lightfoot One, at Zone Sports Net. What is the absolute top must-see best spy movie ever made? Hop on Twitter, let us know. We'll get to your reactions to that question in just a moment. The next movie is City of Lies. It's a rated R biography crime About Gordon Monson's life. Yes. Okay. (laughs) No. Starring Johnny Depp and Forrest Whitaker. Okay. Based on the book Labyrinth by Pulitzer Prize winning Arthur Randall Sullivan, this compelling crime thriller follows the investigation of the infamous murder of iconic rap artist Christopher Wallace, also known as the Notorious B.I.G. Johnny Depp stars as a determined LAPD detective Russell Poole, who spent nearly 20 years trying to solve the murder, and Forrest Whitaker plays Jack Jack Jackson, a journalist who teams up with Poole in search of the elusive truth. Together, they explore why the case remains cold and why a secret division of the LAPD is seemingly set on keeping it that way. Wow. Hmm. So you're going to get, based on true life events, but you're also going to get some editorializing there at the end. Yeah. With the secret uh, conspiracy attachment. It sounds like maybe it might have been an inside job. Well, look, at first I'm like, okay, these are great actors. This is an uh, incredible uh, potential with this story. It's a tragedy, uh, but we all know that it hasn't been solved, so where's the resolution in the movie? Well, perhaps this conspiracy edge of the secret LAPD division might give you that in this. So I'm excited to see this one. I'm excited to see this. My only question mark is, are we going to get the same old Johnny Depp performance like the Captain Jack Sparrows, the Willy Wonka <laughs> guy. Captain Jack. But no, you know, you know what I mean though. When, when he when he plays in a movie, it's kind of the same guy. You know, the same made up character. I want to see a different Johnny Depp in this. I think he will. I, I don't want to see the wacky crazy, and I don't think you he won't. will. I don't think he'll be that. But you know what I mean. He'll be a hardened cop. Like 
ever since Pirates of the Caribbean came out, every Johnny Depp character has had Jack Sparrow in him. I see. I see what you're so going So I with. don't want that. I want that tie cut. I think he doesn't want that either, so you won't get that. I hope so. Uh, last Call, a rated R comedy starring Jeremy Piven, Taron Manning, and Bruce Dern. Now, this sounds like a stretch for Jeremy Piven. Listen to this character he plays. Okay. Sounds like every character he's ever played. A local success story and real estate developer, Mick, played by Jeremy Piven, returns home to his offbeat blue-collar Irish neighborhood in the shadows of Philly for a funeral and is obligated to stay to ensure the parents' ailing family business gets back on course. Amidst all this, he grows closer to his childhood crush, who is also back in town, while enduring the constant ridicule from his old hometown crew. As Mick begins to reconnect with the neighborhood he grew up in, he finds himself at a crossroads when forced to either raise or resurrect direct the family bar as rote and mm. cliche and predictable as this sounds i actually want to see this movie it's interesting to you okay it's got a little of uh just friends yeah mixed with entourage yeah which like i said a stretch for jeremy piven but i think it'll be i think it'll be okay if it has 10 percent of just friends it's gonna be awesome i think it'll be all right yeah and i'd probably i would be shocked if this gets more than like a four out of ten but I think it'll be an all right movie. Okay. Well, the final movie on uh, the new movies this week is Dark State, a crime drama mystery currently not rated, starring, you're going to have to help me with these names. I'm going to uh, blow them Anthony up. Anthony Thank you. And Constantine Maroulis. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. An investigative reporter must choose between helping expose the truth or accepting that the world is ruled by a global network of ruthless insiders determined to wield power over an mankind in a coming dark stage yeah this is the one i'm not interested <laughs> in <laughs> no thanks that hurt my throat never heard of anyone in it and uh it seems too small i don't know but a lot of those small unheard of movies end up being the best kind so maybe. yeah i i think dark states might be a pass for me but it might be for our listeners someone might absolutely love it all right. Uh, also, a reminder, the Best Picture series returns for 2021 at Megaplex Theaters. They have already viewed all of the Best Picture nominees, but they're bringing them back ahead of and after the Oscars yeah. so you can familiarize with yourself. Right now, you can see Minari, Sound of Metal, and Nomadland. It's going to win. I think it might. That's yeah. going to win. But let's get, before we go to break, our poll question responses today. Let's do it. We asked you, what's the absolute top, must-see, best spy movie ever made? Johnny English. No, that's wrong. Oh. Although that's a funny movie. That Daniel Kaluuya got a start in Johnny English. Yeah, yeah. Hans Olsen said the one answer and one answer only is top secret. Uh, skip. It's a terrible, terrible, terrible movie. Mantis Toboggan says spy with Melissa McCarthy is pretty darn good. Okay. I didn't see it. That's okay. Jonathan Tavernari, JT for three, yeah. himself, says spy games with Mr. Sundance, Robert Redford. And and Pitt, right? Brad Pitt? Yeah, I love yeah. that movie. Yeah, it's those a great two look movie. alike, by the way. I could see Pitt playing a younger Redford. Uh -huh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ute Shasta Trailer says voting with my head, North by Northwest, the original Cary Grant. Voting with my heart, Sneakers. Timothy Busfield, Eddie Jones' plot twist is epic. And, yeah, Sneakers is a really good answer. Yeah, that's a good answer for sure. Roger says Mission Impossible, the original 1996. Tape Delay Jazz <laughs> says, I'm assuming this is the non-James Bond region, because if not, you just asked what's the best Bond movie, in which case I prefer Skyfall, but other acceptable answers include Casino Royale, Goldfinger, or Live and Let Die. Okay. Ryan says Sneakers. This yep. is somehow the second time this week I'm tweeting about this movie, criminally underrated. <laughs> Jeremy says, I was going serious, but after Hans pulled off Top Secret, I have to go with The Naked Gun, 
Although The Professional is a really good movie as well. Naked Gun's a cop movie, not a spy movie. Yeah. Am I wrong? Come on, Jeremy. Am I wrong? Well, he's in disguises. He's undercover. It's about as... Okay. He's spying on people. So so then then The Avengers is a no, spy movie. No, 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 Okay. No. Brian Priest says, good spy movie? Isn't that an oxymoron? I'll no. begrudgingly take salt just to have an answer. Brian Priest might... I might see what I can do to get him fired for that tweet <laughs> here from the zone. Larry Tassoni, the man from Uncle, is one of my favorites. Yes. Also a nod to Atomic Blonde and Spy. Those All three movies are great answers there. Jedi Knight says, Skyfall... Uh, Nate sends in a gif of, of uh, what is the Spies Like Us? Oh, yes. Dan Aykroyd, Chevy Chase, yeah, yeah. Spies Like Us. Goldeneye from Kirk. John Michael May, who is going to be our guest next segment. Yeah. From Murder Among the Mormons. He answered the poll question and said, Ronan, but I would still watch Kingsman if I had to choose between the two. Ooh, see, that would be my answer. I really like the Kingsman series. And then finally, Unusually Plain and Lyle both had... Austin Powers. Oh, okay. I'm changing my answer. Yeah, I knew you'd flip flop yeah, there. Yeah, I'm, I'm flip from there. Austin is by, but it's a spoof. I mean, let's be honest, it's a spoof on it, but it's it's best. Oh, behave. Oh, behave. Yeah, baby. <laughs> All right. Coming up next. Speaking of John Michael May, he'll join us. He'll talk to us about being a sound technician and location and actor mm-hmm. in the movie docu series Murder Among the Mormons. And before that, we'll get you a this moment in music history. From Johnny Lightfoot with Soundtrack of the Week. I'm excited. I, I, I know this band, but I don't know this band. Well, you're going to learn. We'll learn next together. Yes. Well, maybe just me. Right yes. here on the Movie Zone. You're locked on to the Movie Zone on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. 97.5-1280 The Zone. It's the Movie Zone, segment two. Johnny Lightfoot here. Across the glass is Austin Horton. You digging the music, buddy? Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not the biggest Duran Duran fan. No? No. Well, you grew up in a different era. They were before me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But I take it you are a big fan of Duran Duran. You know, I was a big fan of Duran Duran. Uh, their newer stuff, not so much. But, the, you know, the stuff like like the song of View to a Kill and, and the earlier stuff, of course. So our soundtrack is Duran Duran. And why? Because of this song, A View from a Kill, was the soundtrack in a Bond movie. Uh-huh. Where the uh, soundtrack or the song is better than the movie. And we're going to talk a lot about James Bond later on in segment three. That's right. Now, Duran Duran is an English new wave band formed in Birmingham in 1978. The group was the leading band in the MTV-driven second British invasion in the U.S. in the 1980s. I had no idea they were British. Really? Yep, that's news to me. Well, of course. (laughs) Uh, They had such massive hits as Hungry Like the Wolf, Rio, The Reflex, Notorious, A View to a Kill, Girls on Film, Save a Prayer, but they only have two Grammys. Didn't they do Take On Me? No, that's AHA. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, The Grammys go to Hungry Like the Wolf for 1984 for Best Music Video, and again in 1984 for Best Music Film, which was the first year that award was given. Are these the guys that wore the jello molds on their head? That's Devo. Okay. Close. (laughs) Just messing with you. Now, uh, the band members that most people would know are Simon LeBond, John Taylor, Roger Taylor, (laughs) Andy Taylor- are they related? They're not related. None of them? No, apparently everyone in Birmingham is named Taylor. <laughs> it's Birmingham, by the way. I know, but I'm saying Go. Birmingham. 
Like a like a fool. No, this is just how we say it. What what's Duran Duran? Why did they come up with that name? I actually have that. They got their name from the movie Barbarella. Never heard of it. The is villain it about a horse. Yes. No. <laughs> the villain's name in the movie was Duran Duran, and they liked the trippy music associated with the movie, so they named themselves Duran Duran as a tribute to Barbarella. Wow. I know. Is that crazy? Kind of a dumb name. Now, Duran Duran was among the first bands to have videos shot by professional directors with 35 millimeter film. So they were using music videos. Yes. Wow. Which gave their videos more of that kind of polished movie look. Gotcha. Which is why they won for, you know, best video and and whatnot. And Duran Duran has achieved 14 singles in the top 10 in the UK, 21 hits in the US top 100. They have also sold over 100 million records worldwide. Well, despite my uh, not liking them, they've done well. Yes, they have done quite well. They're still out touring. Well, they will be back out touring again, and they put on a great show. So Duran Duran, soundtrack of the week. That's your lesson in music history from Johnny Lightfoot. Now, before we, uh, in later segment three, we're going to talk more James Bond and a little bit more uh, about uh, that whole spy theme of today's show. Yeah, yeah. But before we do that, uh, a special guest we promised you. We're excited to welcome him to the show from uh, the docuseries Murder Among the Mormons. He is John Michael May. John, welcome to the Movie Zone. Hello. Thanks for having me. Now, we teased in the first segment coming uh, going to break that you worked on and were a big part of the movie, or not the movie, the, the series, the docuseries Murder Among the Mormons, which is just taking off, taking the world by mm-hmm. fire. And it's a story that I was familiar with, but not in that great of depth uh, as those happenings took place when I was like two months old. <laughs> but, you know, growing up in Utah, I've heard about it. Tell us what your job was on the movie, John, and uh, what you did and how you got into that business. Well, I was the location sound mixer. I, um, I recorded all of the dialogue that you heard throughout the film. The few exceptions would be uh, news coverage, um, archived footage, things of that nature. But anything new, the interviews, um, I took care of. Some of the sound effects I recorded as well, so like the explosions, um, out in the desert, Uzis, things like that. <laughs> um, cool. In addition to being the sound mixer, I was also cast in the role of Shannon Flynn in the recreations. Oh, cool. Uh, which, okay. which I have a question about Shannon Flynn, because I feel like... And I, I need to compliment you and the movie makers. Or I'm going to call you. It's a movie to, to me. But uh, the heroes of this of this uh, series were the victims. And, and that's what I loved about this is it did not uh, self-grandize. It didn't build up Mark Hoffman as the, the protagonist. It made it very clear that he's the antagonist. And the uh, reenactments and the actual interviews done with the, his victims and his friends they, it made them into the heroes. And one of those guys is the eccentric Shannon Flynn, who he's an, he seems like a phenomenally interesting person, but he's got this voice uh, issue. It's, it's like he lost his voice or damaged his vocal cords along the way. And you as the sound mixer, how did you tackle? Because without him, it's, it's, I mean, he's so integral and, and such a crux of having his testimony there in this, in this series. How did you work with his voice and still make it so uh, uh, beautiful as it turned out to be? It was difficult. The, uh, the nice thing is that I got to meet Shannon about a month before I had to record anything from him. Um, and after I met him, I actually ordered up a microphone specifically to deal with his voice, um, just something that had a, 
had warmer tones, more of a broadcast quality to help with that, that sibilance and that, that uh, shallowness um, that was the result of his, his illness, his, uh, his exposure to cancer. Oh, is that what he, he had cancer? He or had has cancer. Yeah. yeah. Well, he, I mean, and it's, it's, I'm glad that his voice is that way. I'm not glad it was because of cancer, but it added this mystique, mm. this almost like, oh, let me close in closer to this guy. Right. Yeah, yeah. And he yeah. captivates you because he's talking with a gravel. And now, now, John, let he's me. He's an amazing guy. Let me ask you this. This is going to probably bore our listeners completely, but what mic did you end up using? I'm a, <laughs> I'm a bit of a gearhead uh, sound recorder myself, so I'm just curious. I, I actually ordered a Rode NTG3 shotgun microphone. Okay. Okay. A shotgun? Yes. What does that mean? It's a it's a <laughs> long long microphone, like a long boom mic, usually, usually held uh, on a stick. Yeah, okay. yeah. Right. or it can go on top of the camera, Austin. Uh, well, hey, I'm learning. I also for his uh, for his lavalier microphone that he wore under the suit was a uh, a Countryman B3 microphone, which also has some warm qualities. Very very warm, yeah. So Rode, you had the shotgun and the lav mic yes, going both. on. Okay. The rooms that we recorded in were so massive over at the Masonic Temple in, in downtown Salt Lake City that. We um, we had to use two mics, one for the presence and and something that sounded local, and then something that sounded bigger and roomier for yeah. atmosphere. So I'm glad I'm glad you stated that because when I when the the series first opens up, he's sitting in a room and he's saying, "Don't even ask me about him." And I'm looking in the background, and I swear that was the Masonic Temple. And I'm glad that you just clarified that it was. Did you do a lot of filming in there, like in a lot of other rooms, or what were some of the other locations that you did? Uh, well, almost all of our interviews were in the Masonic Temple that were local. Um, everything else we did was in New York, uh, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Arkansas. Uh, we traveled quite a bit to get a lot of this, uh, a lot of the story out there. Is this this isn't your first uh, feature that you've worked on, is it, John? What else have you it's done? It's my it's my first Netflix exclusive and and BBC Studios feature. I've done uh, some local movies and mostly commercial work, so. Um, Echo Boomers is a film that just released, um, that was produced here locally with Patrick uh, Schwarzenegger. Okay. Uh, it was made here locally. So mm -hmm. that was actually my first film. I'm actually really new to the film industry. Okay. Just graduated from film school at uh, Salt Lake Community, believe it or not. Yeah, go Bruins. Nice. Slick. They actually have a great, great uh, program there. For All them. the media yeah. programs yeah. are terrific. Excellent. Yeah. And great studios. Very impressive. Uh, it's it's and is very this, difficult yeah, to finish the program because... There's just so much work here locally that the students can enter into the market with. So. Was editing a nightmare by way of two, two, I guess a two double, a double edged sword question here, a nightmare in choosing what to keep and what not to, but also making it sound like they were in a, a sound booth. Like you mentioned, they were all over the world and in these yeah. great big rooms, which was worse choosing what to cut and what to keep. Or the actual uh, technicality of getting around maybe some not good sound and making it sound good? Uh, it was really what what story to tell, what information we were able to to get in to move the story along, keep people's interest. The audio was never really a problem. We we did a great job, with one exception where it was snowing and we had snow plows making tons <laughs> of noise in the background. But They weren't on uh, my street, I'll tell you that, because they yeah. never come to my street. <laughs> That, John, were you uh, were you familiar with the story before working on it, or did you uh, did you hear like when you were doing? Was that the first your, your first exposure to it? That was my first exposure to it. I my uh, I'm actually married to the associate producer JJ Newert. Ah, see, uh, so I, that's how you get in the movies. <laughs> that's how you get in the movies. Nepotism, but uh, 
I got to hear a lot about what was going on because she was doing most of the research, collecting documents, going out, uh, finding these people to tell their stories for the film. And um, Tyler Meeson, the one of the directors, and her started working, boy, about four years ago. And uh, so I got to hear bits and pieces, didn't really understand all of it, but she'd find some fascinating document and come and show it to me. And so I, I was learning as I was going. And then the storytelling was just so compelling. I got to hear every minute of stories from these interviews. Wow. I still have all of them that I can go back and, and listen to every once in a while. But So I, I'm I'm a lot older than Austin, and I remember this, uh, this story. I was still young when it happened, but I definitely remember it. So... My question is, was it hard to get the people to come out and actually mm -hmm. talk about it? Were they still kind of a little, I, I hate to use the word gun shy, but shy about, you know, talking about the story? There's got to be PTSD. Yeah, there's got to be some yeah. PTSD. But did, did you like, Absolutely. as the sound guy, did you kind of have to massage a little bit into, you know, to get them to open up and talk about it? It, it wasn't so much me. It was definitely Tyler Meesom. Uh, just an amazing director and the relationships that he built with these people and, and getting them to understand his point of view and the storytelling um, was just paramount to making my job so much easier. There were definitely people who were very nervous about being there. And you know, we had breakdowns constantly from people mm -hmm. going through their memories. Yeah. But um, it, there were definitely people who, who backed out who just couldn't pull it, pull it together in yeah. the end, in some cases, but uh, you know, there's so many amazing stories that we didn't get to hear, like about Kathy Sheets and right. Um, Mr. Mac is another great story that we really didn't get yeah, to explore. That's right. Which I heard, I think it was Tyler, uh, or maybe it was Jared Hess. Uh, they were doing an interview recently, and they shared a few stories from the Christensen family's point of view on this that didn't make it into the actual docu-series. And, and it's not saying that the, any decisions were made wrong to not include those, but it's just you got a certain amount of time. You got to fit it in right. and tell which story. And But there's definitely a treasure trove of uh, offshoots and spider webs that these people could tell stories for days. And I think we should all learn a little. Like Brian Metcalf. Uh, it was clear yeah. you mentioned that there were some people that had had some breakdowns, had a hard time. Brian Metcalf was clearly emotionally uh, uh, tortured, but he still had the bravery and the courage to do this. And everyone that uh, took part in this movie, I think, should be commended for their bravery mm -hmm. to drudge up these yeah. awful, horrendous memories. The worst thing that has ever happened to, the, to them in their lives. But by being brave enough to tell it, I think it educates people, and like I said, it made them into the heroes of a story that for 30-plus years, Mark Hoffman's really been the hero. Not not on purpose, but just because that's the name everyone remembers. That's what they remember, yeah. But now I'll remember Brian Metcalf, I'll remember mm -hmm. Gary Sheets, I'll remember the Christensen family, I'll remember Shannon Flynn. Uh, anyway, so when, you, when you're sitting there listening to these people, did, did, um, did, when they broke down and they had moments, did anyone ever say... Uh, that they regretted doing this or at the end, were they happy that they took part of it? Uh, I haven't run into anybody who's regretted it just yet. I know that there was definitely some trepidation after the fact. Um, people who are, you know, devout and faithful to the, uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints were worried after the fact, was this going to be something that reflected poorly on um, their views of the church or their faith and, um, I, 
think that was dealt with really well. Yeah, I agree. As a uh, as a practicing member of that faith, I, I absolutely 100% agree that I could see why people would have, especially with the name Mormon in the title, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, is this another hit job, another hit piece yeah. on the church? But after coming away from watching that, I really think it was handled with grace and, and respect. And while mistakes were made, I think those mistakes were allowed the opportunity to be redeemed through this docu-series as well. So I, I get what you're talking about there. Yeah. But so, other than that trepidation before the, the release, it, um, I think everybody was really happy to be a part of it. So, so here, here's, here's what inspiring minds or in, what's, what's the inquisiting minds want to know, okay. John. Did you get your hands on any of the documents? Did you actually get to see the quote unquote fake documents? The actual evidence? Yes. 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 Wow. Um, Again, JJ Neward is my wife and an amazing uh, procurer of documents for this film. <laughs> so I've seen the Salamander letter. I've wow. Uh, I've held checks that he's written. I've I've had his checkbook in my hand. Um, wow, all sorts of things. So, Where, so how do you get your hands on that? Do you just call up the the state evidence room and say, "Hey, can we check this out like it's a library?" <laughs> how does that work? Some of, some of it comes from evidence. Well, the um, the Farnsworth family. Uh, who was involved in the, the investigation, they had an archive from that uh, investigation. So a lot of, you know, the anarchist cookbook was in the, huh, wow. in, the, uh, wow. <laughs> in, the in the logs. So this, this is all of um, items that'll be, that are being collected and cataloged and they will eventually end up at the University of Utah. So, wow. so looking at these documents and, and knowing that they, they were forged, but did they look real? I mean, could it was it believable that oh, they could have been the real thing? Absolutely, because he used real paper from the the era that he was copying. He'd go and he'd, he'd take it from old books. He'd um, he'd take the cover page that was blank in a book, and then he would use that aged paper along with his um, concoction to create um, a time period inks. He was an incredible and, amateur chemist. Wow! Yes, and, and, yeah. and then he, he fooled the best of the best. And uh, yeah. in, in the in the series, is it is it Agent Throckmorton? The, the, is, it, is that his name? Throckmorton. George Throckmorton. George, yeah. and he's a he's a FBI agent that works right. with like uh, identifying handwriting and signatures and, and fraud and forgery. Right. And he's the one that at least I took this from the series. Without him, it may never he may never have been caught. But wow. Throckmorton was like right. something's not right here. And yeah, Rockmore was a big part of that. Oh, uh, and Delia. Two dollar check in Denver. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And uh, Detective Delia, of course. Of well, there, there's a, and I think I think the series talks about it, but there was a, a a point where quote unquote the church was supposed to quote unquote buy one of those documents for three hundred thousand hmm. dollars. Now they deny that and say that we just wanted to look right. at it, yeah. but uh, man, that's a pretty good forgery. Yeah, he fooled a lot the of church smart has people. so many people who are willing to. To protect the faith, to to support education and and history. So, you know, you have your Steve Christiansons who are willing to spend money and donate that to the archives that, you know, for the church, on their behalf. So they're not literally making the purchase, but they are happy to receive the items. Sure, <laughs> yeah. of course. And I think what it boils down to for me is that whether you believe that God and the father appeared to Joseph Smith or that, or, or a white salamander helped him translate it. Either way, you're telling, if you tell someone either of those stories, initially our human brains are going to go, 
No, 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 no. That's that sounds ridiculous. Because it was an alien. <laughs> and then there's another story and another story. And I think what Hoffman talked about in his interviews that were captured and shared in the docuseries is that that magic doesn't. There are people that are so devout in their faith and they say, I can't explain it, but I believe it. Right. And he's chasing that magic. And it's a dangerous fine line to, to walk on. And so the church buying or having interest in buying or Steve Christensen, it makes sense to me while it doesn't make sense, if that makes sense at all. So so if you found the gold plates, yeah, you, you went out somewhere, you dug them up, you found the gold plates, would you try and sell them? eBay? Me? Yeah. Yeah, I would. Yeah. But I'm not that. Thankfully, that's why they didn't choose me. True. Uh, they, they, you know, he was. They chose Joseph Smith. But now we're getting down way in the weeds. Oh, here. we're in the rabbit hole for sure. <laughs> All right, John. Uh, what else can we expect to see from you down the road here? Oh boy, let's see. Um, uh, Ballet West actually is the next project that'll be released uh, that I've worked on. We're releasing how Ballet West is dealing with um, being an artist in the pandemic. Oh wow! Yeah, and, and oh, that'll be phenomenal. That'll be that'll be fascinating. That'll be really cool. Ballet West is an institution. The Nutcracker they didn't have anyone to perform for right. last year, yeah. and I, I mean it didn't make me sad that I didn't have to go to it, but it made me sad for the people that perform <laughs> and, and miss that. John, we'll look forward to it, and uh, don't be a stranger. Thanks for doing this for us. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, John. As John May, check him out uh, in Murder Among the Mormons. Yeah, it's, it. I watched it, Austin, and uh, it's it's very interesting to watch this. Really interesting because, like I said, I remember it. I remember the story. I remember hearing about Mark Hoffman and hearing about all the uh, hearing about all of the explosions that happened. So, if you haven't checked it out, it's worth watching. Absolutely, uh, Murder Among the Mormons. I'm sure many, if not all, of you have seen it. If you haven't, check it out. It's on Netflix. It's terrific. Let's go to break. When we come back on the other side, uh, we're going to talk James Bond. I like it. Not any James Bond. But all, all of them. James Bond from the archives. Facts, little known and unknown about James Bond and the whole franchise. Next here on the Movie Zone. You're locked on to the Movie Zone on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Final segment this week here on the Movie Zone. Austin Horton, Johnny Lightfoot with you. Tell us, what, what this is Duran Duran, as we mentioned last segment, but what's going on with this song? Well, as we mentioned, uh, Duran Duran being our soundtrack of the week, this is the song they wrote for the worst Bond movie ever, Roger Moore's A View to a Kill. Okay. How, I mean, what's funny, I think the song is more famous than that movie. Probably so, because I've heard the song and I've yes. never seen that Bond. Well, so. uh, and we'll talk. We'll get into the the Bonds here in a minute. In fact, just for those who know, our throwback movie of the week is not a movie. Yeah, it's all of the movies. It's it, it's a franchise. It's the Bonds. <laughs> but uh, A View to a Kill was Roger Moore's last Bond movie, and uh, it was horrible. It was pretty bad. What was so bad about it? Just they really changed the uh, the whole storyline. It ver- became very gory, bloody, violent, mm. and uh, they were trying to appeal to a younger age so at that time. It wasn't time. like the campy cheesiness of the James Bond. It had that for sure, but it was definitely more violent. So it's what I dislike about all the Daniel Craig ones. Right. It's way too serious and dark. Right. Yeah. Okay. But as mentioned, we were talking about the Bonds, and and Austin, this blew me away. There has been twelve. Actors that have portrayed Bond. Name them. Twelve. Name them. Name them? Yeah. I've got them. Okay. 
Well, let me see if I can name them. Okay, you name them. Sean Connery. Yes. Roger Moore. Yes. Obviously, Daniel Craig and Pierce Brosnan. Yes. Uh, you've got, uh, I said Roger Moore, right? Yes, you The did. other guy. The other uh, English guy. Uh, he just died. Jim. Uh, oh, Timothy. Uh, okay, just tell me. Okay, so in chronological. Timothy Dalton. Timothy Dalton. Yeah, all right. Uh, in chronological order. Okay. Barry Nilsson. Never heard of him. Nope. Bob Holness. Okay. Sean Connery. Yeah. Roger Moore. David Neven. George mm. Lazenby. Okay. Christopher Guys. <laughs> um, yeah, him. Yeah. Timothy Dalton. Michael Jaston. Pierce Bronsden. Daniel Craig. And Toby Stevens. Who's Toby Stevens? No clue. Now, I'm assuming <laughs> these are not all... Those aren't all movies. No, I'm assuming yeah. there might be some TV stuff in yeah. there, you know, maybe over in England when Ian first wrote Across the series. Across the pond. Across the pond. But yeah. I can only see, think of seven of them, as, as you can too, which was Sean Connery from 62 to 65. Again in 67 with You Only Live Twice. And in 71, Diamonds Are Forever. <laughs> again in 83 with Never Say Never Again. And then in, again in 83 with uh, a title we probably shouldn't say. Yeah. Let's just say Octo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. David Neven did Casino Royale in 1967. The original Casino Royale. Yeah. yeah. George Lazenby was 1969. Roger Moore was 73 to 85. Timothy Dalton was 87 to 89. Pierce Brosnan, 95 to 2002, and Daniel Craig, 2006 to current. Pierce Brosnan, an underrated Bond, by the way. He was. Yeah. I liked him as Bond, actually. I thought he was pretty good. I think Sean Connery's my favorite. By far. Uh, but I like Pierce Brosnan a lot as Bond. Well, here's something interesting. Um, the top five Bond movies, according to IMDb, is all Sean Connery and Daniel Craig. Wow. I know. Number five being 2012 Skyfall, which is Daniel Craig. Number four, 1964 from Russia with Love, Sean Connery. 1962, Dr. No, Sean Connery. Number two, Casino Royale from 2006, which is Daniel Craig. And 1964's Goldfinger with Sean Connery. And mm. yes, if you were paying attention to that list, 1964 produced two Bond movies wow. that year. Wow. It's a big, big year for the Bond Isn't that series. pretty crazy? Diamonds are forever not in there, huh? Not in there, no. Uh, by the way, the original Casino Royale, they were not playing poker. They weren't. What were they doing? They were playing Baccarat. Really? But then in the modern one with Daniel Craig, it's poker. Anywho. That's very interesting. Give now, us some more unknown little-known facts about the Bond franchise. The, in 2015, the series estimated worth $19.9 billion. Wow. Uh, making James Bond one of the highest-grossing media franchises of all time. Of course, the character, as we all know, 007, has been adapted for television, radio, comic strip, video games, and film. Okay, so some of those were those names you mentioned yes. are spread out even in video games. Which is why Toby Stevens is after Daniel Craig, video game. No one speaks in GoldenEye the video game, do they? Do you hear Bond's voice in that video game? I never played it's it. Been so so I don't, oh, you never did? No. Maybe the best first-person uh, video game of all time. Really? Well, before. I mean, when we're talking, I guess you have to put them into categories of, of uh, bits. But on N64, that was probably the best. Okay, I never really got into that one. Ah. So in the past 58 years, Austin, a total of 26 James Bond films have been made. Wow. And uh, Ian Fleming based his fictional creation on a number of individuals he came across during his time in the Naval Intelligent Division and 30 Assault Unit during the Second World War. 
admitting that Bond was a compound of all the secret agents and commando types he met during the war. Among those types were his brother, <laughs> Peter, who had been involved in behind-the-scenes operations in Norway and Greece during the war. Wow. So the idea of there's James Bond is of many a different person. Yes. At Rolled least that's what one. I buy into. I, I, that's how they're all played by different people. Right. James Bond is just a name, not a real person. Yes. But that's kind of what Ian Fleming was going for anyway. He took a bunch of different characters and made them to one super spy. <laughs> now, this is funny. Uh, and this is, this is Ian talking. He said, when I wrote the first one in 1953, I wanted Bond to be extremely dull. <clears throat> Uninteresting man to whom things happened. I wanted him to be a blunt instrument. When I was casting around for a name for Bond, I thought, James Bond is the dullest name I have ever heard. And that was uh, Ian Fleming in The New Yorker, April of 1962. Wow. Uh, and now it's like synonymous with Now cool. everyone wants Bond. You've, I've known people who named their kids James because of James Bond. It's and e. Fleming was going for boring. That's pretty funny. <laughs> Isn't that funny? That's really good. It's the most boring name I could think of. Of course, Bond's uh, most famous. Let's see. Uh, yes, Bond's is obviously known for the what car, Austin? Can you know? Uh, the you know? Uh, Aston Martin. Yep, Aston Martin DB. and the Lotus. The one that went underwater. That's right. DB5. Yeah. First seen in Goldfinger. It later fe was featured in Thunderball, GoldenEye, Tomorrow Never Dies, Casino Royale, Skyfall, and Spectre. So yeah. it's a pretty important car, if right? If you're going to put Bond in a car, it's an Aston Martin. Yeah. Well, dig this. The films have used a number of different Aston Martins for filming. One, which was sold in January of 2006 at an auction, sold for $2.1 And you know who bought that? Who's Gordon Monson. Probably. Yeah, just kidding. And that's funny because here it says a Utah car collector in 2010 <laughs> bought a, got a, the one used in Goldfinger for $4.6 million. <laughs> I actually, I might know who bought that one in really? all seriousness. Really? Uh, they've since passed, but uh, I think it may have been an acquaintance of mine. Anyway. Whoa. Well, um, Cinematically, Austin Bond has been a major influence with the spy genre since the release of Dr. No in 62, with 22 secret agent films released in 1966 alone. Wow. 22 in 66 based on that. That's craziness. Trying to capitalize on the Bond's franchise popularity and success. And, yes, there is another Bond coming out. No Time to Die will be in theaters August, or I'm sorry, October 2021, starring Daniel Craig, mm. Rami Malek, and it looks like Lashana Lynch, Lash okay. uh, a female version of 007. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in June of 2019, it was reported that the character would be introduced in No Time to Die as part of a quote-unquote popcorn-dropping moment where Bond, well, the 007 will be played by a female. Which I think uh, Ms. Lynch is in Captain Marvel. I think she's yes. Captain Marvel's best friend, the, yes. the little girl. Yeah. Uh, Ra Rambo. Yes, Rambo. Yeah. Rambo. Well, very cool. There, there's not a... Is there a more uh, uh, enviable job to anyone out there in, in, in the world of uh, fiction than James Bond? No, I... 
I remember seeing those films, and I, I know all my friends, we all wanted to be Bond. He had cool cars. He had cool toys. He, he you know, he'd get the girls. He, he Went got to everything. cool places. Yeah, he did everything that was cool. Killed the bad guys. Which, uh, hey, let's be honest. All while looking sharp. Right. Yeah. Shaken, not stupid. <laughs> I mean, just smooth. Well, like, like Ian said, it's pretty much impossible for that just to be one person. Yeah. That's why it's rolled into a bunch of people into that one person. Yeah. So it's impossible if you want to be him, but I still would like to be. Would I sure as well. Well, our thanks to John Michael May for talking to us about Murder Among the Mormons. Our thanks to you for participating in our uh, poll question this weekend for listening. Check out The Courier. It, like, we said in se- like we said in segment one, it's a spy movie. It's a real based on a true story, but it's meant to be a little bit lighter than... The typical, and that's it. Kind of reminds me of Bond. There's going to be some laughs along the way, but it's not a comedy. It's just it, it, they're they're trying to not go over the top. Unlike the Daniel Craig Bonds, they're too serious for me. Sure, it's not a Bond. They're good movies. They're not a Bond though. No. Yeah. So no. anyway, thanks to uh, for everyone for to, for participating. We'll be back next week. I think we'll see what the NCAA tournament holds for. The local teams. Who knows? Good luck to the Cougars and the Aggies. Yes, sir. Uh, and uh, my two-year-old, by the way, is taking Texas Tech to win the whole thing. Really? Did you uh, Did you have her do a bracket? Yeah, she picked the little pictures of nice. each team. Did you She's, flashcards or what did you do? No, just on the actually on the ESPN bracket app that has the logo of each team. Cool. And then she picked the bubble. That's awesome. And she's into dogs. And she, my wife, my wife works for T-Mobile, and she wears a shirt with a block letter T on it every day. Okay. So she went down to Gonzaga. And the block letter T, Texas Tech. So. There it is. Sorry, Aggies fans. No, it's all right. <laughs> it's all right. All right, Johnny. We'll see you in a week, buddy. Sounds good, buddy. He's Johnny Lightfoot. I'm Austin Horton. We'll be back sometime, hopefully next week, here on the Movie Zone.